If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5, and we'll drop down to 27 through chapter 2, verse 3. Genesis 1, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, you have given us your word with all your commands. You have told us to place them on our hearts, to impress them on our children, to use them to identify us in every area of our lives. We come before you with great respect of you as our God. We hear your word and learn about you and follow you and you alone. We're to do what is right and to honor you in our lives. Father, it is the desire of our hearts to do all of this, but our flesh is weak. Open our hearts to grow in self-control and in our love of you. Show us in your word how to do this every day. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's begin this morning with words from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In the next five sermons, we're going to be looking at what Proverbs teaches on the Almighty God, on our Heavenly Father. We shall look at His power, at His sovereignty, then at His wisdom. We shall see His delights and pleasures and his actions and responses. And then we will look at his word. It's my great hope that as we go through this, through these topics, you will grow in your understanding of the great God we serve. This morning, we begin with a look at God's power and sovereignty. There's no passage that so displays God's power and total control better than Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In this beginning passage of God's word, we see him create all things by the power of his word. 
He simply speaks it into existence. I hope from this you can see how great a God we serve. He has so wonderfully provided for all that mankind would ever need to survive. He has given us a real smorgasbord to eat from. He's provided all the materials we could ever need for shelter and clothing. He even provided a day of rest. How can we ever thank him? The only way we can ever thank him is by being obedient to the precepts of his word. We understand he has revealed himself to us through his creation and by his revelation of himself. In that revelation, he has shown that he desires to have fellowship with a holy and obedient people. This morning, we shall see the power and sovereignty of our God and we shall learn of him as the great creator of all things. We shall see his purpose for all things and his control in all things. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we're told God took nothing and out of nothing made all the things of this world. We can break this down into three areas, the material world, second, mankind, third, the creatures of the world. God is the creator of the universe and nature. Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. We have all observed wisdom as it is in man with all of its great promises. Here, here in this passage, we see wisdom as it is in God being gloriously displayed by his works. You can see his wisdom shown as everlasting. It made all creatures and all things. Yes, even the entire world was made by it. Look, he tells us that wisdom founded the earth upon nothing, and yet it's impossible for anybody to move it. Here we can see that the great architect, our God, has established the heavens, setting all the great lights in their respective orbits. All of these things declare his wisdom. We see it in the earth by his dividing the depths, gathering them up and establishing the oceans, seas, rivers, and streams that man might find his refreshment in those things. We also see it in the heavens as he collects the moisture into the depths, into the clouds, letting it rain down its life-giving blessing upon all of us. So, does not every aspect of the universe glitter in the infinite skill and wisdom of God? The earth is the pavement and the heavens the ceiling of God's handiwork, both miracles of wisdom declaring the glory of our God. As you look out into the heavens, as you examine the earth and its bounty, you can see the two great systems God has established, heaven and earth. As you observe the uniformity of these systems, you begin ever so faintly to understand the wisdom of God. This universe in which we live, it's like a, a parable. It's filled with truths, but those truths have to be found by study. It's also like a great mirror in which is clearly reflected the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has done all he did for his glory and for your salvation. 
It's through these wonderful divine perfections as observed in creation that our awareness of the rich provisions for our happiness becomes so apparent. These wonderful miracles of creation, along with the marvelous provisions of the plan of redemption, should fill our hearts with a glorious song of praise. And we should join the Apostle Paul in Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This shows us wisdom, drawing us into a deeper and deeper understanding of God's great grace. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Who is it that has come down from heaven? Who is it that has gone back up to heaven? Who is it that has taken hold of the wind and controlled it? Who is it that has set the boundaries of the great bodies of water? Who is it that has established the size of the earth? Is it any ordinary man? Could all of this be done all with the mere wisdom of human being? No. God established the foundation of this world, creating all that is in it. He came down to lay the first stones and stayed until it was all finished. He also came down in the form of his only begotten son. His son came to lay another important foundation. He came to lay the foundation of his eternal kingdom. Jesus Christ is his name. And the only way you can truly know that name is to know that God is the creator and that you are a traitor to his cause. Once you understand you're a sinner, lost and without hope in and of yourself, you will recognize that you need help to overcome your sin. You will also learn that it is only Jesus Christ that can save you from that sin. Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life. He died the atoned death. He won the resurrection victory. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for any of us. He alone is the Savior of the souls of men. Place your hope and trust in no one else. God in Jesus Christ has come down from heaven. He came down to provide for his people salvation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This can happen only by the creating power of a sovereign God. Do you not begin to see how wonderfully and fearfully this world is made and how that translates to your very salvation? Without a sovereign God, there would be no creation. Without a loving God of wisdom, there would be no salvation. Proverbs 26.10 The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. Now you need to know, this is a very difficult verse to translate. Even the ancient transcripts differ on its translation. In looking into this, I believe our New King James Version gives us a very solid translation. Here we are told that our great God formed all things. He not only created the universe, but he also created the nature of all things. He laid out the path of the righteous before the foundation of the world. He prepared the reward for the fool 
and he gives the sinner his just reward. Our God, our God has created the universe and everything in it. He has established his course from start to finish and has laid out the final reward for everything created. God not only made all things and set all courses, but he created the very characteristic in each person that makes them unique. He gave you the gifts you have that allow you to earn a living. He gave you everything. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. God made each one. The color of your skin or eyes, the size of your nose or ears, tall or short, where you were born or where you died, it doesn't matter. All men hold this one thing in common. God made them all. The man that is poor, whether in money, health, or philosophy, and the man that is rich and powerful riding on the backs of the poor, it doesn't matter. God has given to them both understanding. Paul speaks to this in Romans 1.21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. At creation, all men were endowed with the knowledge that there was a creator. You understand that? Everyone from Adam understands there is a creator. Some men, choosing to ignore that light that was given, have fallen into the most grievous sin. Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. There's not one single person that is alive today or has ever lived or ever will live that will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. They were all created with the knowledge of God in their hearts. It is the sin of self-gratification that causes them to hide the knowledge of God. Proverbs 22:12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord has made them both. God has made the ear to hear and the eye to see. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a universal call. It is to be made to each and every person in this world. When God placed man in the Garden of Eden, he placed him there on probation. Therefore, if man had successfully completed the test, he would have been confirmed in perfect righteousness, knowledge, and holiness. But as we know, man failed. He was lost in spiritual death. Man made his choice, and what a terrible choice it was. Now, just because man made a bad choice does not mean God let him out of the responsibilities he had. No. He still was required to serve and worship God. The problem was that no man wanted to do that anymore. They would rather do their own thing and forget God. So God sent his only begotten son to pay the price for man's sin he could never pay for himself. Through the price Christ paid, there has gone out an invitation. That invitation calls all who have an ear to hear and a heart to believe to come to forgiveness. God recreates his people out of the mass of humanity 
by giving them eyes and ears to see and hear this wonderful gospel. I would ask this morning, have you heard this good news? Do you understand that this gracious, all-powerful, sovereign God has done on your behalf everything necessary to grant to you forgiveness and freedom from guilt? Open your ears and hear that salvation has been purchased in your name by the sovereign Lord. Open your heart and receive the blessing of Christ's works and rest for all eternity in the arms of your loving God. And next, we look at how God created all creatures and their characteristics. Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 19. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Today, because of science, we know some of these things better than perhaps the writer of Proverbs. However, who of us could ever have made an eagle fly or a snake climb a rock? Who among us have filled the earth with navigational aids like the stars in the sky or the magnetic fields? And surely, surely there's not a man here among us who will say he understands the mind of a woman when it comes to love. God has created all things, and each is fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at the many different ways animals move around. Some move on two legs, some four, some with wings. Some have legless feet and others feetless legs, and others just fins. If you believe in evolution, you really need to hear this. If you believe in evolution, you must understand evolution requires more faith than you can even begin to imagine. Who but God could have made so many different ways to move around, yet each one perfectly suited for their condition, each adequately adapted to each creature. Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. The rock badgers are feeble folk, yet they make their homes in crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. Here, we see four different creatures, and each unique in its own way. The ant works together as a group to prepare for the coming winter. The rock badgers, who are small, yet they're able to build their homes in the hardest of places. The locusts have no leader, but they swarm over the land in great hordes. The next one is either a spider or a lizard. It's Again, this is one of those translation problems. And what is said here could really be true of either. They can both be found in places where other creatures could not survive because of man. God made each creature and set each one's characteristics. Look at the animals around you. Marvel at your great creator God. This is the work of the all-powerful and sovereign God. He and he alone could, not have, could have made this world and all its creatures. Nobody else could do it. Everyone who sets out to do work has a goal. And I think if you work, you understand that purpose. His first goal here is to finish the work. Well, God is no different. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made all for himself. Yes, 
even the wicked for the day of doom. God began this work of creation with a goal. What's his goal? Because there can be no higher goal than to give glory to himself, that was his goal, that his creation would glorify him. The Lord has created all things, all the works of creation, all the events of the nations, all the dispensations of providence, all for himself. He didn't do this because there was something missing in him. No, he's totally self-sufficient and needs nothing. He did it so that his self-aware and intelligent creatures might glory in his wisdom and love. We are told that the Lord rejoices in his works with an inexpressible delight and satisfaction. Yes, even these wicked men who don't seem to fit in this divine plan are included in the grand purpose. Think about it. Our God who created all things, including the wicked, can take anything they do and he can make it bring glory to his holy name. He made even the wicked for the day of destruction. In the end, all men, all men will glorify God whether in this lifetime they want to or not. The scriptures clearly tell us in Psalm, in Psalm 145.10, all your works shall praise you, O Lord. Yes, even the punishment of those in hell. Revelation 14.11 tells us that the smoke from hell rises up before God and will bring glory to him for his judgments are righteous. Everything. Everything that God has created will in the end bring glory to the Creator. Everything, everything will bring glory to God, and we understand. It will do that because God is the sovereign Lord Almighty One. He created all things and thus sustains and directs all things. God cannot be called sovereign unless he is totally in charge of all things. Did you get that? God cannot be called sovereign unless he is totally in charge of all things. If there's one thing, one thing outside of God's control, he is not a sovereign God. That means that everything that happens is under God's control. The bad things that happen are under God's control as well as the good things. Understand, the bad things that happen are a part of God's plan, but occur because of the sinfulness of man. Adam had it perfect. If he had not sinned, nothing bad would ever have happened. But because of his sin, the wrath of God was unleashed on this world and its inhabitants. It is that we might understand the sin, that sin brings a terrible price. But our God is also a God of love and mercy. So he sent his only begotten son. He sent him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came and lived the perfect life. He offered himself on Calvary's cross to die in your place. Taking upon himself the horrors of hell so we might be spared them. He overcame death by his resurrection to open the gates of heaven for all who place their hope and trust in him and in him alone. What about the control God exercises? Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now, this shows very clearly there's not one single leader in this world who is not controlled by God. 
It makes no difference that the man is evil or or saved or whatever. God can turn their heart to whatever issue and to whatever conclusion he wants. All you need to do is look back through history. And you can see how God used leaders to change the course of history. Some making decisions quite contrary to their normal nature. Many a battle was lost because a great general that was ordinarily very aggressive all of a sudden became overly cautious. God's hand is evident in the history of this world. Proverbs 21:31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Now this teaches a very important lesson. It shows that you may well prepare the horse with its armor and load him down with all of your weapons. You may be trusting in his power and his speed. The lesson learned in this is that it never is never your preparation that wins the day. It's the will of God. The victory is in the Lord. God has determined the course of the nation. The Lord decides the battle's outcome. It is God who sets in the seat of power whom he wants there. It may be a good man or an evil man. It all fits into his plan and not the plans of men. How is it that God can do such? Remember, the God we worship is the sovereign Lord Almighty. He does whatever he desires with heaven, earth, the nations of earth, and the people. We turn our attention to the words and the deeds of the the individual. You must ask yourself, how much of your life is guided by your own hand? Proverbs 20, 24. A man's steps are the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Here's the debate between God's power and the sovereignty against man's independence and free will. In the scripture, we read of man being dependent and helpless. John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 15, 5. I, Jesus, am the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I don't find in Scripture that God ever gives man such freedom as to allow him perfect liberty. I also don't find that man is under such control as to be free from all responsibility. Sinful men try to live their lives as if they were their own masters. As a Christian, you should live your life as one who is under a loving authority. Therefore, you should always seek direction from your Lord. The promise of the scripture is that God is always in control. Deuteronomy 31.8 And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These verses show God is always, he's always present to guide his children in times of trouble. We see a lot of humanism today. The humanistic idea is you control your own life 
and when bad things happen, it's always somebody else's fault. Proverbs 16.1 The preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You may determine the answer in your heart, but it is the Lord that controls what is actually said. Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You set the course of your life in your heart, but it's God. It's God who leads you to the final destination of his choice. We must never forget that the God we serve is sovereign. He works out each and every event in our lives. He does this to bring glory and honor to his name and good to all who love him. Please understand, you can't go wrong with God in charge. If your life is left with you in charge, then you're really in trouble. Trust in God. Trust in God and in him alone. For he is the only secure thing in this world. Now, we have to consider the outcome of every matter in this world. Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The outcome of every matter is in the Lord's hand. From the greatest event in your life or the most terrible disaster, God is in control. This is hard to understand. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? Understand, God desires nothing but the best for his children. What is the best thing we could ever have from God? Eternal life with him. Think about God pouring out his wrath on Jesus as he hung on that cross. Has there ever been a more unjust act? Christ did nothing to deserve any punishment, much less one so harsh. Yet God decreed, he decreed that Christ should be crucified. Acts 2.23, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That was God's plan. God decreed Christ's death to bring glory and honor to him. He did it that all those who loved him might receive good, that they might receive eternal life. So Christ's death becomes the greatest source of good ever done in this world. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Please remember. Remember this. When you see disasters that take many lives and there seems to be no good explanation. The people that died were not innocent people, for all men have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Adam and Eve had it perfect in the Garden of Eden. There were no great disasters. They could have lived forever in fellowship with God. Yet through their sin, we understand they didn't appreciate what they had, so they lost it. You and I can see the horror of sin every day. We can hear the promise of heaven. Don't you think after this world you'll have a greater appreciation of heaven? I think I will. And that's because of the horrors caused by sin here in this life. I look forward. I look forward to a place sin no longer exists, and I hope you do too. So we learn from this by sin, that by, that by sin, 
God is really preparing us for life with him. The title of this sermon was God's Power and Sovereignty. We serve an all-powerful and totally sovereign God. If you believe that you have heard this, what you have heard this morning, you cannot believe in free will or a God who makes mistakes and overlooks sins. Our God is in control of his creation. In that you can see Jesus Christ was sent to save you from sin and death. Therefore you must place your trust in this sovereign almighty God and the son he sent to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory. And all, all who believe this and trust in Christ and in him alone shall be saved and shall have eternal life. Let's pray. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Dear Lord, we know our sins have separated us from you. Our sins have hidden your face from us so that you do not hear us. But we also know that you have sent a Redeemer, that he will come to your people, he will take away their sin and give them a place with you in heaven. You have promised that he will be in our hearts and will make our lives a testimony of your grace. Do so this morning, Father, for we come in Christ's name. Amen.